0: Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is co-host, say Nip name. Richards. Thank you. Your, your name. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Joel Schumacher's classic <laughs> angsty teenager coming-of-age film, The Lost Boys. Released in 1987, The Lost Boys tells the story about two teenage brothers, played by Jason Patrick and Corey Haim, who traveled to the coastal town of Santa Carla, along with their mother, played by the wonderful Diane Weist. While there, the older brother Michael falls for a beautiful beach bum by the name of Star, who is under protection of by a motorcycle gang led by Kiefer Sutherland and his amazing mullet. As Michael becomes more enthralled with Star, his younger brother Sam discovers that this gang of ruffians is more than meets the eyes. They're vampires! Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything? unusual about santa carla yet
1: no it's a pretty cool place if you're a martian
0: or a vampire <laughs> so where are you the fine nun i'm your brother sammy help me
1: stay back stay back What's happening to me, Star. Get yourself a good, sharp
0: stick. And drive it right through his heart. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a damn blood-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till Mom finds out, buddy. When a vampire buys it, it's never a pretty sight. Michael McCauley! Oh, shit! Ah! To go along with the theme of the Shameless Picture Show is uh, every episode, we're going to be rotating back and forth of something that we haven't seen. Last week, we did uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, which is since I haven't seen much of anything for Star Trek, it's a topic we might be going back to a couple times. (laughs) Um, But this week, we are doing The Lost Boys because my co-host over here, Nick, has never seen it, and me being a nerd for all things horror... I thought we should scratch this off the list.
1: Yes, it was. It it's one of the ones that, again, has been on my shame list for a very long time. To the extent that I purchased it probably a decade ago on DVD, and like I had to actually take the cellophane off this morning in in order to watch
0: my ten year old DVD. I remember. I don't know if you had the same reaction, but when I put it in. I watched it all the way through. I remember, it was a summer uh, summer night. Uh, I only remember that because I just remember like a cool breeze blowing on me. Like cause I just have a window <laughs> right next to where I watch TV in my in my old bedroom, and I, I I sat there watched it, and then I started it over again and watched it a second time.
1: I really enjoyed it. Uh, had the same kind of feels that like Gremlins and Goonies had. Oh, no! It was certainly darker than Gremlin's, but it had that same like horror movie that all of a sudden you'd be laughing at.: Yeah, In, intentionally, not, not laughing at the film, but laughing with the film, because there's a of couple a times you
0: laugh at the film, though, and that's just because of <laughs> how old it is.
1: Yeah, the uh, late '80s hair and, and clothing oh, yeah. choices. Sexy. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of like some of those production meetings where they're like, you know what kids are
0: doing nowadays? They're piercing their ear and wearing the leather jackets. Uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later on, but I do have to say, like, uh, I don't know how old Joel Schumacher was at the time that he made this film, but I I, I know his first film was St. Elmo's Fire, so he's still a relatively younger filmmaker, and we're going to talk about this a little more later on, but like it it felt surprisingly like... Equally, parts with the times, and then like completely just doing its own thing. Right, right. Like it seemed like he had his finger on the pulse, and then he's like, "Well, you know what? Here's what they're doing. Let's just go just go crazy with it." And it's
1: hard to say. Again, we talked about this last week. The with my perspective being somebody who this is the first time they've seen it, and it's God what 30 years 40 years god what my math is failing me 30 years later right yeah so I'm I wonder had I seen it when it came out if it would have felt like a parody of style and and culture of the of the time or if my hindsight sees it more as a parody
0: um, the reason i don 't think it 's a parody is because of that uh that opening montage of like just all like uh the the beach bums and the punks and the goths and everything hanging out. They all seem like legitimate real people. <laughs> and, and no one ever no one ever felt like a plant or like someone who was just there because like oh put your hair up in a mohawk and go stand over there they all felt like real people and since the style other than like Corey Haim's weird way of dressing all the style kind of like <laughs> was in line with those with those gritty teens i i'd feel like it was it wasn't a parody
1: yeah and and Cory Haim's style like he felt to me like Stylistically like Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. And, yeah. and I, it, I'm, I'm sure it was intentional to give him a different late 80s style because he was coming to Santa Clara from Phoenix. And he was the rich kid that had the, the rare Batman comic.
0: Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar went out of business last summer.
1: Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14.
0: That's a very serious book, man. Only five in existence. Four,
1: actually. I'm always looking out for the other three. So clearly he came from money and he came from this other place and then he's transported into this new location full of the beach bums and the bikers and the punks.
0: If anyone felt like a parody, it was him. (laughs) <laughs> and like it's it it's the, and it, it makes me cr- it cringe every time I hear it when he's like no TV that means no MTV and I was like
1: oh or uh, <laughs> death by stereo <laughs> uh,
0: but anyways we're, we're kind of jumping all over the place a little <laughs> right. bit but uh, I guess we'll, let's let's focus this a little bit more and um, talk about your initial reactions you know having this thirty uh, year old film you're seeing for the first time a film that. Uh, has a really strong reputation of being like I feel like topping people's favorite film lists.
1: Our intro conversation certainly was the first reaction, and that's in watching something that's 30 years old with such a strong sense of style. Like that was, I had to get past that in order to start delving into the content. Um, so something it felt, that felt dated to you uh stylistically not not in terms of narrative okay uh or storytelling that that was just as powerful as again the the same way that i feel when i watch the goonies or gremlins or uh even had some i felt some evil dead elements to it i could uh, see some it. of some of the effects over the top like vampire deaths um but <laughs> but the style is so strong that Again, it it just I had to work a little harder seeing it for the first time thirty years later. Had I seen it back when it was, I think I wouldn't have even taken a second thought because I could have put it in context better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, something that really intrigued me was the title, um, and so that was constantly on my mind throughout the entire process of of watching it. Clearly, there's the the direct reference to Peter Pan Mm -hmm. so whenever there's anything going on I'm thinking where are the little Peter Pan references and then you get the the major connection at the very end when uh Grandpa Gilmore (laughs) um Edward Herman's character uh reveals that he's trying to find a mother for these
0: yeah and children
1: I, that are never going to grow
0: up and I, I feel like one of the reasons I, I, I gravitate towards this film so much is because I do actually have a, a big love for Peter Pan but what I appreciate about this film is that it doesn't feel the need to beat us over the head of Peter Pan references like it's there in the title and if you're well versed enough with the story it's you know there's, there's definite themes there but it's not like you are never walking in on a character watching Peter Pan or like reading a book of it like you know they're 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 more subtle with their references
1: that's exactly where I was gonna go with it is I appreciated that so much they never said my lost boys or anything like that it wasn't heavy handed that it was just this I think many people and myself five ten years ago could watch this and never think twice about a connection between the title they could just think well these are boys that are societally lost um, because it's not heavy-handed, and I love that.
0: Yeah, and like it's one of the it's the the title, and then just combine like it, it's you know if if this t- if this movie would have had like a dumb title like uh, motorcycle vampires or something <laughs> like I probably would have still liked the movie, but it wouldn't have like there's something strangely haunting about the title The Lost Boys, and it kind of just lingers with you afterwards, and then that combined with you know. There's there's almost some like fantastical uh, fantastical images in it, and then uh, the the very good use of music throughout the music. film. Just, it just kind of like lingers with you. Like the Lost Boys almost seems like mystical.
1: The music too has that same, you know. <clears throat> yes, this the movie with the with the biker vampires and and the punks and things. It it's so close to so many very cheesy films. And the music that they use with the boys' choir and the the Doors tracks and things could have very easily played to the cheesiness, but I felt that they walked the line so well that it made it really haunting.
0: Yeah, like that 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 theme song. It's uh, like you know I, I can listen to everybody's strange by the Doors and you know not and be able to disassociate it with all the places I've heard it. But when I hear that main theme, it's called "Cry, Little Sister" by. Uh... I'm an artist by the name of g tom mac just the biggest okay. fucking name ever <laughs> um <clears throat> um i my mind automatically goes to like the lost boys i, I saw the lost boys and um you know I, it transports me in a way
1: yeah and there, there was a little bit i think it was in the third act where the boys choir and, and I just barely grabbed onto it and then I started thinking about something else so I'm not sure how accurate I am on it but I want to say that they were like rattling off like it wasn't so maybe the, the Ten Commandments or something that was integrated yeah. into that that I like was haunting and just background enough and subtle enough that it didn't hit you over the head but really added something for me
0: yeah, and it's also one of those moments where it's like, um, on a, with a less with a lesser skilled filmmaker, it could have been really cheesy. And there's probably some people out there who think the that addition is kind of cheesy, but it's it's something that's kind of always stuck with me as well. And I know Joel Schumacher's a filmmaker that gets a lot of shit because he put nipples on <laughs> Batman, but like, <laughs> you look at his filmography, and the man knows how to direct a film. He's a little out there, uh, and. I've heard the way he directs scenes, and he seems like he's really fucking out there, but he gets results, so.
1: I have, We had talked about it before. I have a note. Uh, great montage. Punch bikinis, missing person posters. It's
0: like this, it gives you a perfect, like, idea of what this town is probably like. Right. And then, like, from that opening moment, like, you know, with the door song, and then, you know, like, you just start. you got, you get a feel for what the tone of the film was going to be, the setting of the film, the cinematography, which I think is fantastic in this movie. Um, it, it sets it up very well because, you know, an opening, an opening credit montage could bite you in the ass just as easily <laughs> as it can help you out. Like, uh, one time where I, I, it, it unrelated to this film, but uh, there was an opening, mo- it was like a opening title, um, se- sequence that, uh, totally just bored the audience so bad. I, I saw the first Insidious film in the theaters. Okay. And I saw it at a budget theater. And the budget theaters is always pretty packed because it's like five bucks to see a movie. And, uh, you know, the titles were going. And I want to say it was like a five-minute sequence of just cutting to different images. Like, here's a clock. Here's a spooky window with people's <laughs> names. And there's a guy in the audience who just ye- stood up and yelled, get to the fucking movie already! <laughs> and, you know, that's that... Um, oh you gotta be careful with those opening titles but I feel like uh, the filmmakers here really hit it hit it correctly hit it right on the head because um this is one of those movies it's like I I reference when I'm talking about like how I want titles to be if I'm making something
1: if you're gonna have montages in your film and you're fighting any kind of nemesis you need a getting ready for the final battle montage which again they do very well with the Frog Brothers (laughs) loading their garlic so totally water into squirt
0: guns it's the frog brothers in general just so weird like i feel like they the lost boys has like two or three sequels but i feel like if they they could have just totally made us a, a, a couple films of just the frog brothers hunting shit in santa carla right. and i would have been all over it because the frog brothers are so weird like, you get cory heldman's weird deep voice this is just our cover we're dedicated to a higher purpose we're fighters for truth, justice, and the
1: American way.
0: There's once or twice in the movie that he break he he breaks the voice, and I never I never take it as like oh he's you know his acting is inconsistent. I just I I like to imagine uh, he just the the character does that voice, and when he's not like when he's like he's scared or whatnot, it goes away. Because I find yeah. that so much more amusing.
1: No, and and I agree. I think. Um Edgar Frog particularly Corey Feldman's role it never seemed to me like Feldman or the director thought like that that deep gruff like serious hunter is who that character was what the character was was a kid who was really into comic books and happens to just actually be around vampires so he wants to be that tough guy
0: what, I, what I'm curious about, because like when, when shit hits the fan and they actually see a vampire for the first time, the Frog Brothers don't know what the fuck to do with themselves. But, <laughs> but yet to their
1: credit, they put the fucking state through that guy,
0: through, yeah. through Bill. <laughs> But, like, I'm, I'm, you know, but they're the one who initiates Sam, uh, Corey Hames' character about the vampires in Santa Carla. So, like, I'm, i I'm curious every time I watch this movie, do they actually know vampires or exist? Or do they just believe in their heart of hearts that there's something there just to make their life a little more entertaining? Because it's never like when they see a vampire, it's not like, oh, I knew this was going to be here. It's like, holy shit, it's a vampire. <laughs> oh,
1: God, I want to go home. I'll never read a comic book again. They were, uh, uh, Corey Ames' character also was really driving home that, that scary comic book story when he wanted to sleep with his mom. It was a really scary comic. Necklace. It's mom, no, really, for like the fourth time, you have no idea how scary that comic was.
0: It's uh, I remember when I was watching the movie and I I watched uh I watched it a month ago so it's like my my memory's a little more fuzzy but one thing that I forget about every time I see the movie and then I am not reminded about until obviously I see it is all the half naked men posters in in Sam's room <laughs> like when they open the closet and there's just a mo- like a beefy model like wearing like a cut off shirt and it's like why does he have that <laughs> and then his big And then the one girl that I remember seeing in his room Was a giant poster of Molly Ringwald From the Breakfast Club And it's like that's the one female poster You choose as Molly Ringwald
1: <laughs> Well and There was the guy performing in the Again like the Oh my I love that scene so much He's like purple He First off he's topless And, and sweaty and, oiled. And, and then he's like purple space tights
0: and a speedo just gyrating over it. getting at it you cannot no one can play the saxophone as well as that man with fire barrels behind them which yes. is what you need at every concert I've never been to a concert as cool as that concert. I, don't, I like I, there, there are so many like homosexual overtones to that concert, but I've not been to a concert as cool as that concert seemed. But yet no one in the audience seemed interested in it. They're all just like, it's, it's like they're all at a Smashing Pumpkins concert, just completely just out of it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's nice,
1: but there's actually a female here that I would like to...
0: The introduction say, of Star. Yeah, I do have to say I love the way they introduce Star. Where it's just like her and uh, her and Michael just connect eyes through the audience, and it's like it's it's one of those it's one of those uh, it's both cliched, but it, it can be very cliched. But I feel like when it's done properly, it can be really effective, like it was in this film. I th- I like I've seen it done in a lot of films where I haven't liked it, but I really love the way they introduce those two characters and kind of create. Um, a um, a connection between the two, and I also love it too because you know we find out obviously later on that Star is a vampire, and I love not knowing if she is connected to Michael because she's made him be connect- be entr- entranced by her, or if they just have a legitimate connection, and she knows that he's someone that she can trust. I love not knowing, and that's one thing this film does so well is not telling us things.
1: Right. Yep. Now I. I didn't pick up so much on her interest from him. It seemed much more weighted towards him noticing her and then, like, stalking her, which led him in there. So I saw that as one-sided. That's fair. I I
0: could be projecting as well.
1: Sure. (laughs) It was so magical. But then there's also that, like, when he first realizes what's going on with him and that sex scene between the two of them comes so out of the blue for me.
0: I will agree to that, too. I, I It's it's one of the few scenes that I, like I, I end up just checking my watch. Even though, and it's, it sucks because it's actually one of the best uses. Like It's the first time you hear the full Lost Boys theme song all the way through, and then it cuts to that, that great aerial shot. It's right. like, there's so much good about this scene. I just don't care if they're having sex.
1: Right. And the that uh, brings up another point um the the, all of the aerial shots um again it's one of those things that could have been done in a cheesy way could have brought down the film but i thought that it was used just right uh that that they did a lot from the vampires perspectives when they were flying through the air without showing a lot of the vampires flying through the air
0: you know and I, like even that very first one that we get at the beginning of the film like you know there's that really sur- uh, surrealistic shot of like uh, our lead motorcycle gang walking through the carousel which i just think is so cool like all the with the weird <laughs> carnival themes for no fucking yep. reason in this film strangely work like i'm wondering like why are are these teenagers who look like they're fucking 30 hanging out at a at a boardwalk carnival like there's just so many questions and <laughs> but, like the thing that like this film does very well, and it's and I keep talking about the subtlety of it is and I feel like this would be'cause and this 'cause this is the way I saw it when I first bought the lost boys i didn 't know it was a vampire film i didn't know what it was, <laughs> I just remember hearing so many people talk about, oh, you haven't seen the Lost Boys, you should see it. And I feel like this would probably be ruined to anyone who saw it originally because, you know, they saw trailers and everything. But, like, I had no idea they were a vampire because the title doesn't say anything about right. vampires. So, yep. like, when you see that that aerial shot, you still don't know. But it's, you know, it's so well done that it leaves you with questions. And I feel like the way they introduce all the the vampire elements and, like, the, the, the rituals I think is fantastic because it's not... You know, just as simple as, oh, you get bit and you become a vampire. Like, there's this whole process to it. Right. These ritualistic elements that I think is really dope.
1: And it, just like with all the things that we've mentioned, there's, it would have been very easy for them to just have scene after scene of sucking blood out of necks and attacking people. There was always another reason for every vampire you know, focus scene. The the few times that they do go, okay, they're gonna do something that's stereotypically vampiric, like when they're up in the tree looking down at. I believe the credits listed them as surf Nazis one through five. <laughs> <laughs> I hope um, so. <laughs> and the, and they attacked them. It could have very easily just been, hey, let's show the audience vampires eating people. But it wasn't. It was this. Very psychologically focused Message to Michael
0: Yeah And and that's one thing this film does great Is uh, Blood and attacking people Never seems like it's an issue about hunger Like And I think that's super cool Because I feel like that's one thing that most vampire films rely on It's like Oh we have to feed but I don't want to kill people (laughs) It's like Feeding is an afterthought in this movie It's not even addressed really
1: and they kind of hint at it a little bit with the the youngest uh, half vampire, yeah. Where uh, when he starts to succumb to, but you know, you can interpret that Monster. as yes. Which again was one of those moments where you start to watch it like you're watching a horror movie, and then that line comes out, and it's different than the kind of comedy that like the Nightmare on Elm Street series uses, um, where it really like you just genuinely laugh
0: because it's <laughs> something you, you it's something you could realistically imagine someone saying especially because it makes no sense because any monster was a werewolf so it's like the fact <laughs> that it's like it was a random quote thrown out out of like fear it's like i could see someone saying that and someone <laughs> misquoting it because no one's gonna right. be like correcting them in a moment of terror <laughs> right well we might <laughs> We might, but that's why we wouldn't last long in a movie like this. <laughs> right. We'd be too worried about fact-checking people's references, and then we'd get killed.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh.
0: it's un- I, 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 there's really no conversation involved with this with this, this note I have, but I just want to mention, and I'm hoping that you heard it. Um, there's Remember the first victim in the movie, the ones who, like, who were in the car? And like the the roof gets tore apart and like they get they get dragged out essentially like up into the air, the w-
1: <laughs> Yeah, though uh, I'm I'm going to do what we were just talking about. I believe the first victim was the security guard of
0: the oh, boardwalk. Who? Well, then second <laughs> victim. Because <laughs> they're 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 the they're the they're like the punks that stole the comic book. From the uh, yeah. the Frog Brothers shop, and you know he's 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 like trying to make out with her, and she's just so amused by this comic book that she can't even focus. But like when they get when they get pulled into the air, it has the most amusing cartoony sound <laughs> that I'm hoping I can find a si- sound bite to so I can throw it into this this recording. But it's like Whoa! <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. I didn't pick up on it. I was too distracted by the fact that the comic book that she has a sad sack comic i have many of those do
0: you feel like a sad sack now because you know that uh no more than usual so the answer is yes
1: yes yeah absolutely and how much do you love the uh the two hippie stoners that presumably actually run the comic shop
0: i i always wonder whenever i see this because the first time i saw this movie um, I thought they were mannequins. But <laughs> nice. then, like, I think you don't, you only see them t- maybe twice in the movie. And I feel like both <laughs> times they're in a different position. And I, I, I go between believing that they are two hippie stoners that actually run the shop and they, they keep, or, you know, the frog brothers keep them around so that they don't get in trouble for running the shop. <laughs> right. Or they're their parents and they're just so fucking drugged out. <laughs> that, and, those could and be the frog parents. I think
1: a movie like this that says so little but has so much is perfect for the us at the type of viewers that like the things that we like no Um,
0: i remember i I did a quick uh, google search um after i watched the movie of like lost boys fan fiction and if you can weed through the sexy stuff which is (laughs) plenty of because it's fan fiction like (laughs) there's a lot of fan fiction involved with the lost boys and it's and Things like uh, movies like this or television shows like this are great for because they give you all the tools you need to, to to take this topic and run with it. But you know things aren't specifically spelled out. Like we don't know the origins of the Frog Brothers. They might say what they are in the sequels, but I pretend those don't exist. Um, <laughs> but we don't know. And like their parents must have had a great sense of humor because they named them Edgar and Alan Frog. So like there's just so much. It's it's it, it's an oxymoron. But there's so much happening. But so little at the same time. Yeah, they don't they don't beat you over the head with it. They
1: throw a lot into this world as texture.
0: Yeah, and like I, I wish I would have done a little research about the uh, the, the screenwriter behind this movie because I don't know who wrote it. It might have been Joel Schumacher, but I don't think so. Like I want to know more about the screenwriter of this film, like what his influences were, because like, like it's such a unique vision behind this film. And, yeah, you can accredit a lot of the, the visual things towards Joel Schumacher, but the pl- the story and the world that was built in this is unlike many other vampire films, or even just horror films I've seen before. There's only one other vampire film that makes me feel the way that this movie does, and that's Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark.
1: Okay, I haven't seen that.
0: Well, then it's going to be added to your list. Oh, guess what? Just got added
1: to the shame list. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's well, what we, we had, like, do a, here. I gotta come up with a soundbite or something for that, like <laughs> like a, like a Pee Wee's Playhouse like siren. For the rest of the day, whenever anyone says a secret word, scream real loud. I tried doing that in high school, and I didn't, <laughs> but I, and I didn't tell anyone I was doing that, so I was just screaming <laughs> at random times. I got kicked out of class. I don't recommend doing that, people. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, I don't remember the Life point. Life so making. hard until you find your people. <laughs> I know. Like I had good friends in high school, and they still didn't get me. (laughs) At some point, I want to definitely do like saying doing do some research about the screenwriter behind this film and see what else he's done because you know there's just certain films that stick with you and you're like I want to know who created this and you know I I felt that way the first time I saw Heather's and then I wanted I wanted to see everything that Daniel Waters the screenwriter wrote.
1: I really liked. The way that they used foreshadowing in the movie.
0: Explain. <clears throat>
1: um, just one particular example is uh, they showed Grandpa, who if if you're gonna have a relatively like ancillary character, he ended up having some importance later on. But really, from a writer's perspective, anyone could have served that Grandpa's purpose at the end of the film. But god every time he was on film he was entertaining like that was great writing that character was so wonderful but his whole his
0: whole speech about the tv guide is (laughs) i will randomly throw that speech out every once in a while or about his his uh his double stuffed oreos and dr pepper and no one gets it in
1: the old fart area of the fridge
0: i like that he had that set up before they moved in i'm amused by that right
1: yeah Like it was just a joke for himself, yeah. <laughs> or his or his wife, depending on how long it was in there. Maybe he was protecting his double stuffs from his <laughs> maybe actually from his woman. Yeah, and again, just a little thing that didn't need to be in there. The film wouldn't have lost anything by by leaving it out. But it's so nice that they put it in. But anyway, back to my point. Uh, foreshadowing, um, Grandpa's presumably building a fence yeah right it's the whole drops a thing in but it's suspiciously pointed at the top i was
0: actually just going to mention that
1: and uh, be again five years ago i wouldn't have thought anything of it but after my my literature classes now i'm just like that random thing that happened what does it mean everything's foreshadowing so when i saw the the pointed top it's obviously you know a giant wooden stake and um another one is when um her uh herman edwards i believe i used his the actor's name earlier and now it's not sounding right maybe, maybe it's um, edward herman that is yeah, one of the two so. anyway the what who turns out to be in in the twist the the lead vampire mm-hmm. um he when he comes to the door the first time for of their home for dinner i picked up on what is later explained that uh he asks to be invited in um and there's an an old cliche or element however you want to word it in literature where the devil or or great evil cannot come into your home unless it's invited in and a lot of stories use that hook so
0: once that happened my brain went okay I gotta watch this but guy. then I I feel like his the treatment of his character was so well done because they use that old cliche of like oh he has to be invited in and, but then when they do try, they try to test him with all the other vampire cliches yep. he passes so then you're like Is he or isn't he? And then, because like I, um, I uh, I did a little bit of research too, and found out that actor was generally like you know Mr. Good Guy and everything. So like, imagine seeing this movie. He's the Judge Reinhold of this. Imagine seeing this movie in the eighties, you wouldn't suspect him at all because it's like, oh, I know that guy. He ain't gonna do shit.
1: And with the exception of the very loose theory that the Fraud Brothers and Corey Haim throw out just before that scene of him coming over. Um, because of the dog, his pet dog that attacks, which, again, dogs feature
0: very and, and, prominently. And, and I do still, will say, but... Thorn was a little on the nose, though, because that just, <laughs> like, uh, it dep- in, uh, in different uh, cultures, like the sign of Thorn or just the name Thorn is usually associated with spooky doings.
1: Right. But, again, yeah, like, the foreshadowing, it just like with the title, they don't beat you over the head with it. They don't go, hey... Make sure you're paying attention to this. Make sure you're paying attention to yeah. this. And and then look at how smart we were later on. It's real subtle. Uh, first yeah. time I
0: saw this movie, I, of course, after I, after I saw the movie, I went online and was just reading fan theories about the film. And one interesting theory is that the grandfather is actually a vampire as well. And it was an interesting theory. I I, I don't think it holds much water but it's an interesting theory because, like, the first time we introduced to him, he's laying in the shade. Sure. Just, you know, he, he, like... And they never said that Daylight kills these vampires, and since they never make a deal out of it, I just imagine it's, like, within reason, they can be out in the sun. But, like, later on...
1: Particularly the half-vampires.
0: The ones that haven't made a kill. And then, you know, like, later on, we see the grandfather and the son, so I feel like the theory's debunked a little bit. But then, like... Um, the two, The two big things that people latched onto was um his final line. It' was like it, it's like Santa Carla is a great place to live. If it wasn't for all these damn vampires. <laughs> and for some reason people latched onto that line as like, this place would be better if I was the only vampire. <laughs> um, and then uh, there was also another interesting theory. You know how like almost all the vampires like essentially disappear after they're killed. David did not. David's body was still laying there. <clears throat> So there's like people who th- theorize that um, oh. th- that the grandfather the fi- is the is the head vampire, and that's the reason David didn't disappear. Like I said, the, the theory doesn't hold much water, but it's really fascinating nonetheless.
1: Yeah, you'd have to <coughs> develop like I think a three quarters vampire mm-hmm.
0: that. <laughs> that would
1: be enough to release the half vampires, but you'd have to kill the actual head vampire to get rid of the three quarters. Yeah, vampires. it's like
0: I, I much like the idea, uh, and I, uh, if they would have made a prequel film, uh, just <laughs> called the Lost Boy, and have it, be, <laughs> and have it be about grandfather being a vampire hunter in his youth, I would have like been all over that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And yeah, that what a great line to go out. And then the, the the really epic freeze frame of them. Or, no, it wasn't a freeze frame. It was just them all just staring as the refrigerator door closes.
1: <laughs> and they get that great backlight, hair yep. light. And, uh, and I, I think what makes the line so effective is that until five minutes before when he bursts in with his tar and the states that we had seen earlier, you have no idea that he knows anything about the vampires. Yep. He's like the only person in the movie at that point. That hasn't is either a vampire
0: or knows at least knows about the vampires. I want to <laughs> know what his plan was because you can't tell me he was intending to shoot a stake across the room. So, and because like, he didn't know where anyone was occasionally. So, what was his plan that he was going to drive through the side of his house? What was his plan?
1: <laughs> and if you're going to try and do something to a vampire, would you really haunt your horn before you? <laughs> go in and kind of there's an element of surprise <laughs> here that, comes
0: grandpa <laughs> right. and I love that the, so, the I horn mean, didn't work too that just made it
1: funnier <laughs> <laughs> based on that evidence I would argue that he's just going senile and he had no idea what was
0: going on he thought he was parking totally yeah. <laughs> I just drove through the damn fence! But no, that and that last line is so great, too, because, like, the entire time you're like, how, like, was this intentional? How aware was he? Like, and that with that one line, the grandfather becomes one of the most interesting characters in the movie. <laughs> yep. And, like, a character that was probably, uh, like in any other movie, would be a throwaway it just automatically just becomes one of the most important characters.
1: He's the hero. Yeah. And you never knew it. You didn't follow his journey. No. But do you need to? That's why you need the prequel, Lost Boy, (laughs) featuring Grandpa.
0: The Lost Boy. I want to make this movie now.
1: (laughs) I I also found it really interesting that it it worked, but, I mean, he's clearly an old hippie, a pot-growing hippie, but he also does taxidermy, which... (laughs) On its surface, doesn't really fit, but I believed it with that character. Yeah. And I, f- and I found the taxidermy, like, a really nice metaphor for these uh, dead creatures that were seemingly alive.
0: Yeah. And just, the- <laughs> I love that he keeps giving Sam all these taxidermic gifts. Um, yeah, that's another one of those details. It's like, I want to know, like, was that just something he thought, oh, this would be funny if Grandfather you know did taxidermy or if it was it was intentional did he have more behind it like and um i used to overthink films all the time you know i because it wasn't necessarily film school because but it was because i went to an art film school you know where experimental <laughs> film and everything it was like we watched a movie that was a fort it was 14 minutes it was a slow moving zoom across the room and we had to analyze what the fuck that meant so you know i was kind of uh, it took me a while to get out of the habit of overthinking things right but um and it's movies like this that remind me how much fun it is to just kind of dissect something and right I'm, i'm gonna kind of sound like an old fart a little bit even though i'm not that old but i feel like that's something that's missing in films nowadays it's like or like how I was telling you of Heather's, or this this screenwriter for this film, how I, I I become fascinated by someone's role in a film, and I I don't follow directors as much as I used to, like as far as like oh I like this director I want to see everything they've done I've been doing screenwriters more often because I feel like they don't get as much as much credit uh, screenwriters back you know I I want to say up until like and partly through the nineties i had a style behind him like you know you see a movie by daniel waters as i said who did heathers you see you know batman returns and um fuck i can't remember one of the other films he did but you you can kind of see his style hear his dialogue know it's by him nowadays screenwriters are so chameleon like that like the fact that they had um One of the screenwriters... They had the screenwriter who did Little Miss Sunshine at one point writing one of the Star Wars films. And it's like... (laughs) What? What? (laughs) So, but, you know... Because they they, want to try to blend in. They want to try to be as accessible to as many different people. And I feel like because of that, we're missing a true voice. And we're missing... um, I don't know. I've kind of lost my my point that I'm trying to make, but... uh,
1: like nobody wants to be or fall into the M. Night Shyamalan trap and you know you can argue one way or the other about his filmmaking ability or his storytelling ability some people really like it some people don't but I think what got him was that he became like people both demanded that he do exactly what he did before but then also be like, well, that was boring because it was what it was before.
0: Yeah, and you go in expecting something. So I right. don't know. I feel like there's an art behind it where you can be uh, a screenwriter or a director, I guess for that matter too, that ha- or a, or a cinematographer that has a, has a, you know, some qualities that make them unique, but they're not interchangeable. I like when I yeah, when and... I see something that I can tell it's like, oh, there's their stamp.
1: And I think that you use the right term before a voice where you can you can expand on it and you can present things that are original even in your own thing, but have your stamp on it um, though I think perhaps some of that modern day chameleonism that people do is in part that they don't want to get pigeonholed into.
0: Being expected oh, no and, I, and I, I completely agree and uh, I'm, I'm gonna get in my soapbox a little bit here but I was talking <laughs> to another friend of mine the other the other night about um he uh, is an editor and uh, or, um, he's trying to make it get his way into being an editor in Hollywood and um, he found out through just some random person he met that so lately Studios have been, they love hiring their editors to direct films. Because they, you know, by watching all these other filmmakers work, they kind of know what I need. They know coverage. They know all that. As opposed to like a cinematographer who gets too in depth about things. And then um, I kind of said to him, "It's like, well, that's all well and good, and, and the idea of like knowing what coverage you need." But then I, there's times where like I kind of fall into the the Brian De Palma school of thinking, where he thinks coverage is bullshit. Because he said, if, uh, <laughs> if you need 40 different angles to tell your story, you're not telling it well. And then sure. like by the idea of like hiring someone who knows how to come in and grab all these different shots to put the movie together, where's the artistry? And yeah. like I said earlier, lover or, love or hate what Joel Schumacher has done as a filmmaker. He's a filmmaker that has a voice. He's not one of those journeyman filmmakers from the 1940s who would like, oh, this week I'm going to do a horror picture. Next week I'm going to do a romance. And after that, I'm going to do a courtroom drama. And, you know, make it all <laughs> just seem, you know, like, as generic as possible. Like, he, for better or for worse, Joel Schumacher is going to make a fucking Joel Schumacher movie. But you get, like... I'm gonna pick on the Marvel films for a little bit for a second here. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy them too, but they all feel the same because they'll get they'll get talented directors, and for lack of a better term, I feel like there's times they take away their voice. Like because I, I sure. feel like um, John Favreau kind of created the Marvel look and feel, and because that the, the Iron Man films are what made put marvel films on on the map everything kind of has that iron man feel to it you know like the fact that right. kenneth Branagh, who is you know a, a great thespian actor and has done so much shakespeare directed the first thor movie and if i wouldn't have known that because i watched the credits i'd have no idea if kenneth brana directed that fucking movie that's the thing that i miss about older films and why i find myself like if i'm at target or whatnot and i'm just looking for a movie I'll much rather grab something old that I haven't seen over something new that I haven't seen because I feel like there's a lot out there that – there's a lot of filmmakers out there I don't know that have a voice and I haven't – and while there's a lot of newer films I like, they don't impress me as the way that I feel like when I see – like I haven't seen a newer vampire film that has impressed me the way that The Lost Boys has and that's not because there haven't been good vampire films. I just feel like they're lacking something
1: sure and there's i i think with with that particular example that you laid out um it it also reminds me of kind of this idea of what makes a successful film the year it comes out is a lot different than what makes a successful film that has stood that 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 would be available at a target walmart you know big box store that may that most likely flopped when it was released 30 years ago mm-hmm. but because it maintained an audience for so long it's still available
0: today no exactly like like for example i uh I, the the new terminator film terminator genesis i actually really enjoyed the film is it going to last the test of time 30 years from now maybe because it's part of a franchise but it's probably going to go the way that terminator 3 did and it's just going to kind of be forgotten I'm sure when Sixteen Candles was made, I don't think um, Filmmaker's name is... I I can't think of his name right now. Uh,
1: Uh, But he did all of those... I'm sure sure he had
0: no idea that the movie was going to go on to become what it did. Or any of his films would go on to become these big culturally significant things. Because the year it comes out doesn't mean anything. Like... When the new Star Wars came out, there's so many people online are saying it's it's the best Star Wars film since the original three. It's like, well, let's wait thirty years? <laughs> and
1: it, how, how good a film does the year comes out is more an indicator of how good they did their marketing mm-hmm. <laughs> than it is how good
0: the film is. Well, yeah, like a, a friend of mine on Facebook just po- posed a question the other day of like he said, "Over oh, the last decade, what's your favorite film?" And so many people were like, well, it's hard. And they're listening off, like, 15 films. And I sat there and thought about it for a minute. And I said, the movie Drive. Because it's it's nice. it's one of the few films that I have thought about probably a couple times a week since it came out. And the day, the the week I saw that movie, would I have known that it'd, be, it'd stick with me, uh, like, almost five, six years later? Probably not. But, you know, it's... It's been a couple. It's been a couple of years, and I'm still thinking about that movie all the time. I still reference that movie all the time. I tell people about that movie all the time.
1: I I'd have to say mine, and I may be stretching the ten year thing. I don't remember the release date. Uh, the Prestige.
0: That's. I actually just saw that for the first time a couple of years ago, because it's really? one of Amanda's favorite films, and she's. Nice. You know, so we did a thing where like I I showed her <laughs> Halloween because it was one of my favorite films, and she showed me the Prestige. <laughs>
1: I saw that in the theater five times. It's one of the few movies that I've seen more than once in the theater. Goddamn,
0: five times! It it
1: like it blew my mind. I had to go back, and it's also quite possibly the only film that I've gone to a theater by myself and sat there alone, and you know, with strangers, uh, and watched. I just I had to see it again, and I had to see it again. I've
0: done I've done that a couple times, like um. I want to say middle school through high school. Like, I didn't always have friends who wanted to go see movies. And I was like, well, I'm not going to miss an opport- opportunity to see it, so I'm just going to go fucking by myself. That show, just shows how much he, he, someone has to love movies to do that. <laughs> right. We've got off the topic a little bit of Lost Boys. so As we always do. <laughs> um, you know, we've talked quite a bit about what we like. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about what you like? Because if not, then I want to... Uh, I don't know if this is necessarily going to work, but I want to turn it towards what you didn't like, what didn't connect. Okay.
1: No, um, the only other I'm looking over my notes, the only thing that I think I didn't talk. I mean, again, as I mentioned earlier on, I like, I I would love to watch the movie again, just trying to find the uh, uh, Peter Pan references. Mm-hmm. I think um, when Michael. First woke Which by up the way, his name having... is a Peter Pan
0: reference.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I did, I wondered if the Frog uh brothers might have been uh some of the more secondary ones, but I don't know the story well enough. But anyway, he's when he Michael wakes up on the ceiling having floated up and then ends up like kind of bouncing out the window and then his little brother sees him floating through the window seemed very peter pan yeah i was exactly of,
0: like them learning to fly him learning to fly it's right. there um the other thing
1: that i uh appreciated was the uh the medical for the metaphorical, for the metaphorical use of fog in the film it was it was really thick but you t- every time they used it it's like all right, you're
0: diving into the unknown. Oh, that scene where they're like holding onto the train tracks and they start letting yep. go like cuz like so the first time I saw this movie I had I didn't know they were vampires and I was like what's happening? And then him letting go kind of leads into this like this weird little montage of him like of like the darkness essentially seducing him and there's more of like the uh the gay overtones, you know, like between David <laughs> right. and Michael and and yeah, I I um I guess I never thought about the the heavy use of fog until you mentioned it, but yeah, it's all over the place and it's real. It's used quite effectively to to create atmosphere.
1: Yeah, and there's you know while while they were hanging on that bridge, why not show the how far how high up they are? Why not show the danger as he looks down? Because it wasn't about falling and hurting himself; it was about letting go into this new unknown thing that he had randomly become a it's part of it's essentially
0: a trust fall like yeah totally does he trust these people he literally just met to let he go he shouldn't have no he shouldn't <laughs> have <laughs> it
1: was a it was a terrible decision um I, so shifting over to um what didn't connect it, not so much that it wasn't the movie i expected it to be i expected it to be a traditional dark modern retelling of the vampire story i wasn't expecting the lightness of it mm-hmm. um though had i seen the cast list ahead of time maybe i would have with the you know the Tories and and even i mean uh diane weese could have gone one in either direction um but and then when I saw uh I he'll always be uh Richard Gilmore to me. <laughs> um, but um him in it like I was really pleasantly surprised by the the lightness at times that it seemed to ebb and flow between really dark and really light. Um and and once I once I found that groove, once I realized what the film was, I it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think that's what it was supposed to be. So no I I other than getting beyond the uh, the very clear style stuff, like, you know, when you see that much like perma mullet on a teenage dude, like and then like we were talking about the greased up singer with the <laughs> speedos and the ty- like once I got past all of that, um, which I don't think I don't say that to mean that it's bad. It was just it was stark yeah. so it was something that i had it's like getting into a cold pool but then once you're in there it's like oh yeah this is refreshing
0: <laughs> that's a good way to put it um yeah there's very few things that i'd say i dislike about it like there's nitpicky things like oh that line kind of makes my eyes roll because it's it's so <laughs> dumb you know stupid shit like that uh the one thing that truly bothers me and it's 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 partially because it's a, a cliche of the '80s, but it's just done so overboard in this film. Is the use of glitter for what it's supposed to be like, <laughs> m- like, like wetness glistening off of you? But it's just like, especially because I watch this movie in Blu-ray too. It's just like it's very obviously <laughs> glitter. Oh, okay. And it's it's funny. Cause I I, uh, I have a friend who's always posting. Like, he's a huge Washboys Boys fan. He's always posting shit of like. Uh, with like a picture of the lost boys cast and it's like real vampires don't sparkle and it's like they do and they die <laughs> but, but 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 these do. yeah they sparkle they totally do <laughs> it bothered didn't bother me too much with like like when they're in the cave and it first happened but as soon as sunlight hit them it's like no that's that's glitter <laughs> because like everyone's just glistening in the sun and it's not like because legend did that too like uh, legend okay. like whenever something like the morning dew was like all glitter
1: I, i'll i have to watch it again on blu-ray and see if it bothers me <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no like yeah this is one of those movies that i just don't really have many problems with and it's and i don't think it's because of like you know bias because you know there's just movies that you grew up watching and you just love uh and you have a hard time finding fault in it and but this is not one of them like this is i just feel like a uh, just a legitimately great film it's very well made yeah it's a little uh, it's a little dated for style, but if you can get, if you can get past that, you know the stories there. Because like hell, I think movies from the twenties and or thirties and forties are dated, but that doesn't mean I can't connect with them.
1: Yeah, and and even the style in this, I I really think is part of the fun of the movie. Yep. I think had it tried to be a serious vampire movie, a very dark one, then that style would have been a problem. But because it didn't take itself too seriously the style is um you know an advantage versus a disadvantage i agree and s- this the same is true with those cheesy lines like the the death by stereo and the holy shit the attack of eddie munster lines like it works in this context
0: yeah i agree with that um before we before we dwindle down with this week's episode i uh I didn't come prepared because I don't have a list of them in front of me, but we like, uh, pick one or two vampire films that you uh, that you love. We're just gonna talk about just vampire films in Ooh. general right now. And I already mentioned *Near Dark*, which says Catherine Bigelow's. Um, uh, can't talk right now. Catherine Bigelow's film, and <laughs> she was uh, I think with um, James Cameron at the time, so like she used a lot of the same crew members from *Aliens*. And it's it's got this really haunting score done by Tangerine Dream, and it's actually like a vampire western because it takes place in New Mexico. And it's nice. about like <laughs> this this um, this, uh, this farm hand who's who's in, kind of in a similar way uh, to The Lost Boys, seduced by this this beautiful woman. He finds out later is a vampire, and he joins hit her like, quote unquote family. Of vampires that are traveling across the United States in a van that's been modified so that way no sunlight will get into it. <laughs> nice, and it, it, it's just like it's really, it, it's really, it's really interesting and really fantastic.
1: Nice. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of vampire films, um, so i I don't say this being one of my favorites, but I was really I you know, my gateway vampire film was interview with the vampire. Yes.
0: That's a, it's a that, great film.
1: And I saw it a very long time ago. Uh, I would say before I got into film in the way that I am now. Um, but I really enjoyed it when I watched it. Uh, the other, the only other one that's coming to mind because it's the one that I've probably seen the most is, uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, <laughs> which prominently features Dracula.
0: <laughs> yes. I love that film too. Well, it's so good. If I could re- recommend one more, that if you haven't seen it, you should. Uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's film, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's by okay. far the best uh, adaptation of Dracula that I've seen. It's got uh, just this amazing style that Gary Oldman kills in the movie like he always does, as does Winona Ryder. And it's, I just think, like one of the best vampire films ever. And, pro- and it is the best adaptation of Dracula.
1: Nice. Well consider two more films
0: being added to my shameless yes Good screaming everybody that's that's a new uh, that's new thing I'm trying is I want to see who can get the, who can add the most films to someones shameless <laughs> nice. in one episode
1: <laughs> well next week um, now originally we were hoping to get this thing off the ground in time to have a Halloween episode because of one of your one of the films on your shame list um but even though that didn't happen I still
0: think I want next week for us to do the exorcist I was actually going to say the same um, thing I was like I I've, cool. I've been wanting to watch it plus uh uh one of my best friends uh his his girlfriend works on the Exorcist TV show so I was just gonna bring up the Exorcist TV show. That's really cool. so. Like <laughs> I, I, I want to see it so I can start watching the show because a bunch of podcasts I listen to they all give the show raving reviews and I was like, Whoosh. and they're like I've, the more I listen, the more it seems that it's tying into the movie. So I kind of have to see the movie. Yes. So
1: it's it's really respectful of the source material. It's really exciting.
0: One thing and you know we'll see when this gets off the ground for the, for the listeners who aren't aware like it, there's been like a month span since we recorded our first episode and it's because we want to bank some episodes um so that so that way we can continue this going but we don't want we don't want to release an episode and then not be able to continue on with it so like uh, Nick's in the process of moving to a house so his shit's yes. a little <laughs> complicated I just got married um so your shit's a little complicated yeah. Both of our shits
1: are rather complicated, like, in the best possible way. Depending ways.
0: on when, we, like I feel like, if we get one more episode recorded, I feel comfortable enough that we could figure out a release schedule. But one thing I'd love to do, if we can make it work, uh, is I'd love to do a, I'd love to do a Christmas episode of some sort. We'd have to find a movie Ooh. that we haven't seen, but then we'd also have to just make sure that release wise it would make sense. Which it might not, but it's pipe dream at this moment.
1: Yeah, no, I th- I think uh, there's potential there. Um, I think we should both write down our top five or 10 favorite Christmas movies and then compare lists and see what we haven't seen on the other
0: person's top 10 Christmas list. Sounds good. Are we doing a purely like wholesome Christmas or cause like, uh, if you want to put Santa Claus versus
1: the Martians on there, you absolutely can. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, uh, Corinne and I were watching, uh. Who who told John Bonnet the other day?
0: I've never seen
1: that. Uh, it's it's new um, and it happens to take like there's just there's like a Christmas tree in the background. So we both decided
0: that whenever anybody asks what our favorite Christmas movie is, that's what we're gonna answer from now on. I I, I change it up all the time, uh, but it's usually Black Christmas is my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> uh, mainly because I I get sick of every time I hear someone's like, oh Die Hard is the best Christmas movie. I'm like. No, it's not. Shut up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's again, like it's like if you are in the mood for action, it's fun,
0: but nothing beats it. it's a wonderful life. <laughs> it's true. It's a wonderful life is great, and like even when I was even when I was younger, and I didn't really like black and white movies, I couldn't deny how great that film was. And actually, last year I took my mom to go see. Um, it was a uh, White Christmas on the big screen because she'd never seen it. On nice. the big screen I, And it was my first time Seeing the movie And I was like I can't deny it. This movie's fantastic
1: Yeah yeah. Just uh, earlier today My daughter and I Were singing The Mr. Bones Bit In the uh, Taqueria That we were in today
0: <laughs> That's awesome She is so She knows all the bits That's great No, like The uh, main reason I wanted to do A Christmas episode is because uh, Much to everyone's surprise Because I'm so big Into horror films Christmas is my favorite holiday Over Halloween Nice
1: it's magical
0: well because like my re- my reasoning for it is because as much as I love Halloween and Halloween's probably my second favorite holiday is Halloween is not the same holiday it was when I was a kid it doesn't feel the same you know it's sure. like everyone you know wearing a costume is not nearly as fun as it was when we were kids and you know it's all centered around going out and getting drunk at this age and I feel like it's not going to be <laughs> interesting for me again until I have children of my own but Christmas is the only holiday that I can still kind of get the same feelings I got when I was a kid
1: sure yep I hear that. All right, well let's do it, Christmas episode. Uh, but yeah, uh, next up we'll do The Exorcist. So stay tuned for that. Uh, should be a good one.
0: All right, then I guess everyone have a uh, a good week. I don't, we we still haven't figured out our release schedule. If it's gonna be weekly, every <laughs> other, I think probably every other week. But uh, you know we'll have a great however long it'll be since we hear from you. We'll again. see you when we see you. <laughs> about living in santa carla i never could stomach all the damn vampires